our super exclusive division previews continue with a division that has changed a fair bit in the last few months. Uh, the Blue Jackets, in case you didn't know, uh, kept a few of their assets, but mainly the ones they wanted to keep left town. Uh, Carolina has added some depth on offense and defense. The Rangers and Devils have turned some heads and could surprise. The Flyers and Islanders should also be interesting to watch. And don't forget the Penguins and Capitals who are still relevant. How will things shake up in the Metro this year? Plus in a rapid fire section, we will mention a few noteworthy signings on the back end, but we won't be talking about them in depth because Richie Mitch finally got paid. Episode 184 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Is uh, Before we go any further, as oh, always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, but I just wanted to mention, is Richie Mitch now Mitch Marner's nickname? Um, He is for me. Okay. I, I guess that's going to be the Sens chirp from now on. All right. I guess that's fine. Hey, I guess hey, I can call him, too, as a Bruins fan, as a rival to the league. We deserve to trip back a little it's bit. It's just I've never <laughs> heard him called Richie Mitch. I guess now it makes sense, but all right. I, I came up with it a few months ago, and I'm thinking when he's signed, I'm going to Okay, fine. All right. <laughs> now that I know the background, I'll, I'll allow it, I guess. All right. Anyways, I am ready for this trivia question. All right. Well, I hope you are, because it's question 69 night. Okay. Uh, a few Soviet-trained individuals were enshrined in the Hall of Fame before Detroit defenseman Slava Fedosov's induction in 2001. Who was first? The goalie who never played NHL hockey in his career, but is still a legend, Vlaslav Tretiak. B, the Victoria... Uh, sorry, this word trips me up. The dictatorial head coach of the national team, Viktor Tikhanov. C. Fedotov's teammate and Stanley Cup winner Igor Larionov, or D. The legendary founder of Russian hockey, Anatoly Tarasov. So this is a question of who made the Hall of Fame, is that right? Yeah, so um, there are a few Soviet-trained individuals that were enshrined in the Hall of Fame before Slava Fedotov okay. in 2001. Which of the following names that I listed was first? Tradiak, Tikhanov, Larionov, Tarasov. Got it. Um... I'm going to go with Larinoff, because I think he's the most notable of the ones. Um, but it could be the first Trediak. Um, so I'm going to go with Larinoff, though. It was actually neither. It was uh, the founder oh, wow. of Russian hockey, Anatoly Tarasov. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Um, whatever. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so um, I don't have a like yeah a good response time to react to that because we have a lot to get to this week um because we're going to be uh previewing the metro division there's a lot of interesting teams this year i was as i was prepping and i was mentioning to steve off air 
pretty much all these teams like have a good chance of making the playoffs. Um, yeah. Maybe the I guess you could make a like a case that would be sh- kind of shocking if Columbus or the Islanders made the playoffs, but everyone else it seems like they either um, made it last year or made some significant improvement where it's like okay, of course they made the playoffs because of the moves that they made this offseason. Um, specifically the the Rangers and the Jersey Devils. Um, so so that makes this like division like one of the most fascinating divisions in the league uh, just because all all the teams are going to be competitive this year. Um, so let's start uh, like we did last year uh, last week with just starting with the most um, the team that has uh, <laughs> I can't speak. Uh, alphabetical order um, by the city name. So we're going to start with the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, they um, they added Jake Gardner, which we didn't even talk about his signing last week, but uh, Carolina got Jake Gardner. Uh, it's a four-year by four million annual average value type deal. Um, the thing that's interesting, I mean, I guess we can start with talking about this signing before we get into the actual signing signing um, or the actual preview of it. Um, but um, Jake Garner, yeah, for, it's kind of amazing because he was in, in Toronto, he was being paid $4 million, um, in Toronto. So he didn't even get that much of a pay raise. Um, no, his his AAV is exactly the same. Yeah. It hasn't changed but he does have a modified no trade clause so that's a yeah. big difference in that sense um and the other interesting thing is is carolina already i mean we're kind of like segueing this into the preview in the sense because they already have a pretty formidable defensive core with dougie hamilton justin falk uh jacob slavin uh brett pesci uh trevor vance reams they got, of course, uh, Gustav Forsling, um, who I mentioned. So it's like, uh, it's very, um, there's this this move to get Jake Garner means that I feel like Justin Falk is going to be traded pretty soon. I think there was rumors that Justin Falk was going to Anaheim, um, but like uh, Justin Falk just had to get rid of his, remove his no trade clause, and it's unclear if he's going to do that. I guess he didn't because uh, it didn't happen but there was rumors that he was going to Anaheim um, because of that so I guess there's more to come maybe they're gonna trade him to another team we'll see um, but I I think that that seems likely because you make that move to get Jake Garner they also get someone like Chase Prisky who we talked about la- a couple weeks ago when they signed him it's also it's just uh, kind of uh, I feel like Carolina is going to make some big move where they're going to trade Justin Falk just because they have Jake Garner and I don't know if they're they'll be able to afford like it feels like there's too many pots in the kitchen kind of thing situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I also, oh, yeah. sorry. Before you get into the defensive stuff, I do want to mention because it'll just be really quickly. The Carolina also added uh, Eric Halla, Ryan Dezingle, and James Reimer, and then they subtracted. It seems like Justin Williams is going to retire, so I added him on this subtraction list. 
Calvin DeHaan is no longer there. Curtis McElhaney is no longer there. And Adam Fox is no longer there. Okay. Now you can talk. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, one of the, as good as Carolina was, um, they were near the bottom 10 in power play percentage last year. And out of the 16 playoff teams, they ranked 14th. And they, it, and they made it to the conference finals, too. So, um Jake Gardner definitely provides a boost to their power play. Um, this guy had over 40 assists in 2017-18, so you, you can mock him about his bad performances in the past against Boston and do or die games, but he's still a good player. It's not like Jake Gardner is absolutely worthless. Like he, For, for a guy that is making like $4.05 million per year, if you can get like 30, 40 to 50 points out of a guy like that can that can really log some power play time, that's a, that's a pretty good bargain if I'm Carolina. And like the no trade with, I believe it's the 17th. So they're, they're not even really strapped that bad in regards to the strings attached to uh, the Jay Gardner trade or the Jay Gardner uh, signing rather. So um, the fact that um, they were able to acquire Jay Gardner is good for them, especially when you consider that all of the defensemen you just named, uh, the likes of Slavin, Pesce, Falk, um, Dougie Hamilton, the n- most notable guy on the left side is Slavin. So they they have a bit of a gap between the left side and the right side where it's a bit uneven. And Jay yep. Gardner coming kind of fills that gap a little bit better. True. Um, so you mentioned about Justin Falk and some of the stats that he put up he's the guy that surpassed 200 shots and double digits and goals in four of the last five years a guy that can average between 22 and 24 minutes per night um he he's a guy that you could get a lot of value on um on the open market and carolina apparently tried to extend him in the off season it didn't work um i think i also hear an extension is another reason why Justin Falk might be a bit hesitant to do the trade. I think um, the condition is with the Anaheim thing, yes, he has to waive the no trade, but I think he would really, really prefer signing an extension before he really commits to an organization. So I think that could also um, impact a trade uh, with the Anaheim Ducks if that does in fact happen. And like I said, Justin Falk, you know, if you can get a forward that already adds to the group of young underrated forwards that you have and maybe a prospect or a, a solid draft pick moving forward. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes just need to keep adding to the future. And I yep. think actually trading Justin Falk wouldn't be so bad because at this rate, they can afford to part with Justin Falk. They have five defensemen making over $4 million per year with the acquisition yep. of Gardner, including Justin Falk. So it's, it, and like Brett Pache is, a number three defenseman on the right side because you have Hamilton as the top slot and Falk as the second. So um, it, it's it's not a situation where if they lose Justin Falk, it's the end of the world in Carolina. They're mm-hmm. they're fine without Justin Falk. Um, and I do believe you're right with the emergence of Chase Prisky. Um, I think in a couple of years, Justin Falk wouldn't be a good fit in Carolina anymore. So. Perhaps at this point, the best decision for both sides is to move on and, and for Carolina to continue to add to the youth movement that they have. And I, I think when I look at Carolina's offense as a whole, just looking at their forwards, 
I think they've got the one of the most underrated groups of forwards in the yeah. entire week. Like, I agree, yeah. Eric Halla, he's removed from like a 50 to 60 point season in his first year with Vegas. Ryan Dezingle did some things in Ottawa and Columbus. Uh, you look at um, a guy like uh, Nino Niederreiter, who um, made a big impact in that uh, midseason yeah. trade from Minnesota. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about in Carolina, and it would not surprise me if they finish in the top three in the Metro. It honestly wouldn't because of the forward group that they have, along with Aho and Tarabainen and Jordan Stahl. Um, the one thing that does concern me is I don't know what to expect from their goaltending. Um, Peter Morazic is a guy, and I've seen him at the junior level, where when he gets on a roll, he can straight up take over a hockey game. He is that dialed in. When he is on his game, he is that dialed in. But when he's average, when he's suspect, that's that's where you start to get into trouble. The Hurricanes a couple of years ago gave up the fewest shots again in the entire league, and they still weren't good at keeping the puck out of the net, and they didn't make the playoffs because of it. So yeah. uh, it's one thing if Rod Brindamore's system works, but the tandem of Peter Morazic and whoever it be, James Reimer, Alex Ndokovich, whatever that tandem is, that tandem needs to get the job done like Morazic and McElhinney did last year. And I, I'm kind of fearing that they lost that veteran leadership, that calming presence behind Morazic. Uh, I, I, my fear is that they're they're really going to miss that this year and maybe take a step back. So, I think that's the one thing that I'm unsure of Carolina. I'm confident about their offense. I'm confident about their defense. Goaltending, it's it's a toss of the coin right now. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a good point. I. Yeah, I do want to mention that, like you, you just mentioned, they have a pretty underrated um, forward core. Like they have Sebastian Ajo. There's a reason why Montreal tried to snag him away from Carolina because um, he's really good. He's kind of like they. I mean, according to a lot of like you know fantasy like things that I look at or even uh, ESPN that I'm looking at right now. Uh, they have him listed as a left winger, but he's uh, he's actually a pretty good center. Or he was uh, he's been their top line center for a while now. Um, and then you add in like Tavo Teravainen, Nino Niederreiter. Um, Nino Niederreiter got really like he had thirty points in thirty six games when he went to Carolina. It's just he became a completely yeah. different player. Um, and Tavo Teravina is also pretty good too. 76 points in 82 games. That's nothing to sneeze about either. But like he kind of gets um, overshadowed by Sebastian Ajo, which he should be because uh, Sebastian Ajo is the best player in on the team. And then you add guys like um, Ryan Dezingle, Eric Halla, who had a pretty good game, uh, pretty good season. Um, two years ago, um, and then he got injured last year, so he could have a slight bounce back this year. Um, and then we don't know what uh, Andrei Svechnikov is going to be. Um, like he's supposed to be like this, um, like next Alex Ovechkin, so he could take the next step. And then all of a sudden, you have a pretty good team in terms of depth because um, if Svechnikov, Zingle, Niederreiter, 
and Aho and Terabyte and all get going at the same time, then this is going to be a force to get, be reckoned with. And like, you know, Eric Halla, um, you also add in guys like Martin Nikosh, um, who was a draft pick a couple of years ago, too, for them. Um, and he's like, yeah, he has some Yeltsin, Yeltsin had a big age yeah. season, was a big part of yeah. run, too. So he made some strides, too. And then uh, Jordan Stahl is like, like he doesn't show up on the stat sheet that often, but he is pretty good mm. on the um, a defensive side of things. So he's also like good for that too. So like, yeah, they have a pretty good lineup in that sense. Um, I I may have missed it. Did you have a prediction for where they're gonna land um, in the metro? I uh, do have a prediction. Uh, my prediction is just uh, taking a look at the standings here. Oh, wait, wait. Um, we should do uh, players to watch for you. Sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we'll, 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 while we're on the subject of ranking the team, let's do that first. Okay. Um, I think 45 to 50 wins is possible, third in the Metro. That's where I'm putting them. I have them fourth, but I think they're gonna. There's, they're a lock to get the wild card. If you look at the Metro division last yeah. year, there was very little separation. Yeah. So I'm not even saying they're convincingly a third place team in the Metro. It could be a very tight race to the end, like wow. Yeah, no, I, I I have a surprising third place team here. So I wouldn't be surprised if they get a fourth place, uh, uh, if they get a if they get the third spot or even the second spot. But yeah. um, I have them at four, and they're definitely, but they're definitely making the wild card, or they're definitely making the playoffs. Um, so who's your player to watch? Um, I was hemming and hawing between a few players. Dougie Hamilton, just because he tends to start off slow and then really pick it up in the second half. Warren Fogle and his strong playoff outing um, gave me reason to ponder a little bit. Uh, I'm going with Niederreiter, though, okay. just because there's a lot of there's a lot of depth at left wing, but there's also a lot of uncertainty as to where everyone slots in. We're talking about a guy that. It has had four 20-goal seasons as an NHLer so far in the last five years. Um, four points shy of equaling his career high from 2016-17 um, last year. Um, his power play stats with the Wild almost identical to what he did in Carolina in 36 games with them. Um, but you fast forward to the playoffs and he only gets a goal in four points. So um, I'm interested to see where... Niederreiter fits in because uh, according to Daily Faceoff, Sveshnikov is uh, slotted as the second line right winger. Yeah. But he's been on the top line before, um, so I'm curious to see how they handle Sveshnikov in that offense. You also have Dzingel playing left wing. He yeah. had some top line minutes in Ottawa this past year. Um, Fogel and McGinn also have a bit of experience at left wing. So there's a lot of depth, like I said, a lot of underrated depth at left wing. So um, I, I, I think we could see Niederreiter as the top line left winger, maybe even the second line too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think where he slots into that lineup is going to determine how good or how bad of a season he's going to have. Yeah. Because I definitely think who he plays with is is going to help out his stats. If he plays with Aho and Tara Vinen, yep. 70 plus points, it's not out of the question at all. Yeah, I'm looking at their daily face-off line. It currently has Nina Ryder as left wing and Tara Vinen as right wing. I think, doesn't Nina Ryder play right wing more often? I feel like he does. So, 
Um, I guess he does also play left wing because they have him here too. But um, yeah, so I, 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 I do wonder, maybe they switch. I guess there is a drop off between Aho and Jordan Stahl. Um, just come to think of it. So that, that will be interesting to see. I wonder if they make a move because Shvetchenkov is their future. Um, whereas Niederreiter and Teravainen are more temporary for them. Um, we'll see. Um, okay, let's go to Columbus here. Um, <laughs> this team kind of made a... Uh, they have a lot of subtractions on their team this year, but um, and they only added one person. But they are a fascinating team to watch this year because, because of that. Um, cause they're gonna, I think they're gonna do a lot of stuff in-house. Uh, let's start with their additions, which is basically just Gustav Nyquist. Um, they don't have, uh, of course they added other players, but, uh, for the most part, uh, Gustav Nyquist is the only one that's, um, that's gonna be in there. Uh, subtractions, um, they're kind of quite, quite a big list here. Um, Artemi Panarin who's uh, now on a Metro division team, which we'll get to in a second. Sergei Bobrovsky, who's in uh, in Florida. Ryan Dezingle and Matt Duchesne. The first two were like a big part of the Columbus's core and a big reason why Columbus even got so far in the first place or even be, like made Columbus into like a, rel a relevant hockey town in the first place. So it's going to be interesting to see that now that they're both gone, how is Columbus going to uh, cope? Um, having said all that, they still have a pretty good team because um, they have um, they have what's his face. They have Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, which we'll get into in a second. Um, they also have Cam Atkinson, Pierre Luc Dubois, Josh Anderson. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand um, has his moments sometimes. Um, you know, they're going to, like, those guys that I just listed are going to have to step up if they want to, um, if they want to make it big. Um, my player to watch, which I'll get into in a second, is going to be their goalie, because I'm not sure how they're going to be, but um, it's worth mentioning that Elvis Merzilkins is uh, going to be their goalie. Um, as well as um, they have um, another one too as well in uh, Yorpis Jonas Corposalo as well. So um, mm -hmm. so they're, they're going to be a completely different team. However, I don't know like I feel like they're not going to be like terrible. like they're gonna they're gonna re kind of reminds me of um, the Islanders last year without John Tavares. like their identity is uh, different. But they still they still have John Tortorella, uh, Tar Tortorella uh, behind the bench, and I feel like he can rally around these guys and be like, "Hey, no one believes in us," and that could be a good factor in there, um, in like them being like a kind of like a dark horse uh, team um, in this league. So I feel like they, they they're not going to be as bad as people think they're going to be. Yeah, I've, I, I kind of lean towards uh, your train of thought there, Brett. Um, and a lot of the players, maybe not more so Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski and Kay Mackinson because they've been the leaned-upon guys right. for many seasons for a while. 
But you look at someone like Gustav Nyquist being thrusted into a top six role after going to a team like San Jose where he's just a depth piece. He's just there. Yeah. But now he's expected to produce as a top line figure. You look at someone like Pierre-Luc Dubois who continues to elevate his game, but now, boom, he's their top line center because Matt Duchesne is no longer there. He's about to enter his third real season of NHL hockey. Um whether it's Bjorkstrand, whether it's Josh Anderson, um, whether it's anybody on that roster, everyone is going to have to pull their weight, and I would argue everyone has to elevate their game for this, this team to even have a shot, a wild card spot. So there, there's a lot of things that have to go right for Columbus in order to make some noise, but I'm not putting it past them with the group of guys that they have. And... Um, of course, John Tortorella is going to find a way to motivate them uh, yeah. like he was able to do playoffs as well. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. I'm not sure how Columbus is going to do. Obviously, a lot hinges on their goaltending. Yep. You have a guy that hasn't really been a bona fide starter in Corpus Allo. You're getting a guy that's coming straight out of Europe, has very little experience in North American hockey whatsoever. Um, so there's a lot going to be riding on new guys that haven't been put into their current roles before and are expected to just go out there and with the flip of a switch, just get it done. So it's going to be a big adjustment for a lot of the faces still in Columbus, but whether this team is first place or last place in the Metro, uh, Nick Polino, um, as said before, there's no room for passengers. Everyone's got to be on board. Everyone's got to pull their weight. And I think Columbus's work ethic and their identity, if it remains strong, um, it could take them some places that very few people um, think they'll go this year. And it, it could lead to a playoff spot. Who knows? But yeah. um, I think for a division that's a bit more wide open than previous years, um, them making the playoffs isn't impossible. Yep. No, I agree with that. Um, so my before we get into the rankings, I guess I kind of messed this up before for Carolina. Um, but uh, yeah, I I'll do the players to watch here, um, and then we'll do the, the our predictions. Um, yeah, my players to watch is Elvis Merzilkins. Um, yep. He. Uh, just looking at his stats here, um, he he has pretty good stats here for uh, the Swiss League. He had a 9.21 save percentage and a 2.44 GAA in 43 games. Um, however, that's in the Swiss League, um, and that's like obviously those are pretty good stats, and um, and that doesn't mean he's like is going he's like a bad goalie or anything. But it's hard to see how, like, just for any international player, it's hard to see how that's going to translate into the NHL um, right away. Um, I'd feel more comfortable if he maybe spent some time in the AHL just so that he can get accustomed, um, especially for a goalie. But um, if he is at, as good as he is hyped, um, then uh, that might be the, uh, like, then, like, yeah, I think the Blue Jackets may be uh, a team to be reckoned with. But that's pretty much how, like, 
like Columbus's season is going to depend purely on if this guy can um, do well right away. Um, and that's kind of a scary process if you think about it. Like, of course, if he does well, then he's going to be, um, you know, then that's great for them um, and, and all that. But at the same time, if it's like, if he's just, uh, he's stinking, then that's going to be disastrous. And, um, and it's, it, they're going to miss Bobrovsky more than they realize in that sense. Um, so that's where it gets me a little bit concerned about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and then there's other players that I feel like, uh, could like, and also Panarin is going to be a tough player to replace as well. Um, they have Gustav Nyquist, who they got. I don't think he's at the level of Panarin, but he has proven that he's at least been there in the NHL um, before, so we we know what we're getting out of him. He had a career year last year, um, so I'll be interested in that. So I'm kind of cheating there. I'm giving you two guys to watch, but, um, but yeah. Um, so as for predict, oh, right, uh, Zach Warinsky signed um, this week because um, he was an RFA. Um, he signed three years, uh, five million annual average value. Um, that's a pretty good deal for Zach Warinsky. I think the big, I think I was talking about this uh, when we were talking about the RFAs who haven't signed yet. Um, the the big deal for them was is that they didn't want. Uh, Wierenski to make more than uh, Seth Jones um, and they didn't do that however they're both going to be free agents in the same year because um, they're now Seth Jones has three years left on his contract and Zach Wierenski has three years left on his contract um, however Wierenski is still going to be an RFA um, by that time and Seth Jones is going to be a UFA by that time so I guess they have some leeway um, in that sense, but it's still like something that they're gonna have to think about in three years. Um, it could be the same situation with Bobrovsky and a Panarin where they're both let go because they both want bigger contracts elsewhere. But, um, but at the same time, it's, um, uh, so it's something to think about, but, um, but it's pretty cheap in terms of what Wierenski, um has shown that he can do, um, and I think he it's is a team friendly deal in that sense. Yeah, very team friendly deal, and I saw this tweet where um, uh, with, with basically the opinion that you know Panarin helped inflate Wierenski's numbers the past two years. Um, there's no doubt Panarin had a big impact on the jacket of the whole and probably Zach Wierenski as well. But in Zach Wierenski's rookie season, he got 36 assists, 47 points, 21 power play points, and averaged 2 minutes and 47 seconds on the power play per game. He has yet to surpass those numbers. And in that rookie season, Panarin wasn't on the jackets. He was still in Chicago. So Zach Wierenski is a very talented defenseman. He is a guy that is a double-digit goal scorer every season. Um, he was near the top 20 defensemen in goals last year, as well as zone entries, zone exits. Um, 
his 25 rush chances were eight most in that same group of defensemen. Um, the main reason why his ice time isn't as high as Seth Jones is because Seth Jones is very versatile. He can play power play, he can play even strength, he can play shorthanded. Zach Wierenski is more of a power play defenseman. But to his credit, Wierenski logged over 100 shorthanded minutes uh, last year in his third season. He didn't do that in his first two years. So they're keeping a bit more responsibility on him slowly but surely. Um, either way is slice it. This is a discount price for a guy that could have easily made more. Um, and the fact that Yarmo um, Kekalainen still has his rights in July 2022 is huge because, like you said, there's Seth Jones to worry about. Um, he's just as talented as Seth Jones, um, offensively speaking. And it's definitely a solid one-two punch for the next three years that Columbus has to work with. But um, my fear is when they start to get good when they're a formidable threat again um they're gonna be they're gonna have to start paying their young guys a lot more money and that includes Pierre-Luc Dubois who's an RFA after the end of this year so um the good news with Columbus is they have a lot of salary cap and I if, I don't know if I'm your own, but I better use it wisely because um, if the Vegas Golden Knights showed you anything in the last two years, that salary cap can go from an asset to a burden pretty quickly. So um, it, the, having the salary cap helps Columbus now, but uh, Yarmo has to use that money wisely because they're going to need every penny if they want to keep Seth Jones and Morensky on the same team in three years' time. So uh, for now, it looks like a good deal, but Morensky probably took this deal knowing he's going to get paid later. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty good deal here. Um, and we'll get into Provorov in a second, but, um, it's like, uh, um, it's kind of a, we'll see how it goes, but I, I feel like Wernski could have gotten more on a, on the open market. So I think they lucked out in that sense, but I guess they, they kind of needed, a, Columbus needed a couple of wins um, in this offseason when they lose two guys like Panarin and Bobrovsky like that. Um, yeah. All right, let's go to uh, New Jersey here. Um, they have, they, it's funny, when I was doing this list and Steve put out all the guys that um, they added and all the guys that they subtracted. And all the guys they subtracted wasn't that many people. It was basically just Steve Santini and uh, Zachary Davies. Um, and both aren't really... Jeremy, uh, it's actually yeah. Jeremy Davies. But Jeremy yeah. Davies. I don't know who I said. I think I said... Did I say Steve Davies? I think you said Zach Davies. Zach Davies. Okay. Um, anyways. But, like, they didn't really subtract anyone. And then they added... P.K. Subban, Nikita Gusev, Wayne Simmons, and oh yeah, they got Jack Hughes uh, first overall in this year's draft. So it's like, um, they added so many people, and not to mention, they're going to get Taylor Hall back, um, who was the Hart Trophy winner last year. So this team is might actually be pretty good um, this year. Because uh, they uh, they added so many players and they didn't really lose that many um, guys in the first place. Um, I guess there are definitely some concerns still. Like we don't know how Jack Hughes is going to be. We don't know how Nik Nikita Gusev's going to be. 
Taylor Hall is still injury prone, so maybe he's not the same as he was last year. Uh, Corey Schneider um, and Mackenzie Blackwood, they're kind of inconsistent, but um, at least for Corey Schneider, uh, he could have a bounce back year, but it's still unclear. P.K. Subban wasn't exactly great in Nashville in his final season, so it may not be as great as they did. But at the same time, it's like all these guys have potential to be really good um, in their, you know, this this year. And this could be like, uh, I, I feel like this is like a team to... Like, this is going to be a hot team to uh, watch or, like, going to be an exciting team to watch just because of all these different players that they added, um, especially with Taylor Hall being back and Nico Heischer, um being back, too, if you add those guys to the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it goes without saying there's a lot of popcorn Jack yep. Hughes and Nikita Gusev and P.K. Subban to find his game again. Um, adding a guy like Wayne Simmons on a bargain deal, you know, if if he returns to form, he could help them a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe an extra step gain from Nico Heischer um, also adds to their offense, which will help things. Um, I also think it'll be interesting to see how P.K. Subban is able to help Will Butcher, um, yep. a guy who signed um, a team-friendly three-year deal, has a bit of upside, got 40-plus points as a rookie, got 30 last year, um, and has played a lot of power play time already. So um, the tandem of Subban and Butcher is going to be really interesting to watch. They also have Vatten, and there's a pretty underrated defenseman. Um, they, they've got some guys that can play in that lineup. Uh, they also have um, depth guys up front like Blake Coleman, like Miles Wood, um, Pavel Zak as well, um, that if they take a step forward, um, will make this team better too. Um, the overall success of this team moving forward, not just this year, but moving forward, of course, depends on whether or not Taylor Hall stays. And we saw what happened after he got hurt last year. The Devils were, you know, they were hanging around when Taylor Hall was there, when Taylor Hall was a point-per-game player, but he got hurt, never played another game for them that season, and the Devils weren't able to fully recover from that. And you could argue without Taylor Hall, maybe they don't even make the playoffs the year before. So... um, you look at a guy like Panarin making the kind of money that he's making and you wonder, you know, what Taylor Hall is going to get. So I definitely think it's going to be over $8 million per year. Um, and that's going to be a sticky situation for Ray Shero, um, who, um, in the case of Pavel Zaka, held his rights. Um, he doesn't with Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall can do whatever the heck yeah. he wants in July. He can sign wherever. Um, but what Ray Shiro did show me in those contract negotiations with Pavel Zaka is he's going to stand firm. He's going to do what's best for the team. If he has to trade Taylor Hall, he's going to get the best return possible. Yeah. And if he can keep Taylor Hall, the Devils are going to be a better team down the road because of it. So, yeah. um, I, think, like, I think sorry, I Ray Shiro going to do his job. So. I, I feel like um, Ray Shiro is doing what uh, 
what um what's his face the guy in the islanders gm uh garcino should have done with um in Tavares's last season he should have went out and got like defense a goalie all the guys to support Tavares and like show that hey we're actually going to be pretty good this year or we're going to be good for the future um instead like they didn't really do much um so like i He's like Ray Shiro's already gotten like PK Subban, who's shown that he's been good. Of course, they lucked out and got Jack Hughes. But um, if I'm Taylor Hall, I'm like, oh, this is this team's going to be pretty good. Um, could be pretty good. So he's more likely to sign long term next year uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. I, I do think the one thing that's going to hold the Devils back, yeah. um, I, I look at a team like Columbus that. You know, I think they're going to finish dead last in the Metro. They'll they'll be a decent dead last team. They could finish better than that. Who really knows yeah. with this division? And I think the same question marks with Columbus are going to be the question marks for the New Jersey Devils and how far they make it this year. And it's going to be goaltending. Yeah. Um, can Corey Schneider return to form? Can the guy even stay healthy for a yeah. full season? That's a big um, question mark. What's Mackenzie Blackwood going to provide uh, behind him? Um, there's a lot of unknowns there. Uh, it doesn't matter how good the offense or the defense is. Um, goaltending was the reason um, they made it to part of the reason why they made it to the playoffs a few seasons ago. It's going to be the reason why they make it or miss it this year. So. Uh, if I had to, if I had to rank the Devils right now, I wouldn't put them last because I already have Columbus put last. But um, I think the Devils are going to finish sixth in the Metro. Wow! And okay. I think I think Gusev's going to have at least sixty points. Wow! Who's your player to watch? Uh, my player to watch uh, probably not the guy that a lot of people would take. Um, from the New Jersey Devils. I'm going with Damon Severson. I quietly had a good year last year, uh, 39 points, um, bested his 31 from a couple of seasons ago. Um, His 146 shots on goal were 20 more shots than what he posted in 2016-17. His 11 goals were a career high. His average ice time per game was up by two minutes and change compared to the Taylor Hall our trophy campaign um he had 12 power play points last year um ranked third in power play time by double defenseman behind butcher and Battenen. and if you look at shorthanded time uh he logged a lot of minutes too. he finished third amongst that same group of uh, skaters in shorthanded minutes um he had 122 minutes and 37 seconds over 82 games the key thing to note about uh that list the two players ahead of him, Ben Lovejoy and Andy Green. Ben Lovejoy, of course, is retired, uh, was traded out of New Jersey, no longer on the team. Andy Green logged over 335 shorthanded minutes, which in my opinion is way too much shorthanded yeah. time. So I expect Damon Severson to be more of a shorthanded presence with the Devils, and I think um, he's going to be relied upon a lot in New Jersey this year and will be a key ingredient to their success. Like, a lot of people are going to talk about Butcher and Subban. Severson's going to have to carry the and, load as well. And Vatanen as well. They also have him. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I I forget. Did we uh, did I give our predictions for Columbus and where they're going to rank? 
We did not get to them. No, okay. I, I said that I said they finished dead last. I said seventh for Columbus. Um, okay. New Jersey. You said that they're going to get. You have them sixth in New Jersey. I have. Yeah, I have New Jersey third. I I'm. <laughs> this is going to be our first big uh, difference maker of of our preview here. Um, I have them mm. third. <laughs> um, going I know. all in. I'm going all in on him. Yeah, I, um, I, I, there are definitely concerns about Jack Corey Schneider, um, but even um, I, I liked what I saw out of Mackenzie Blackwood. So even if Corey Schneider isn't good, um, I do think that um, that Mackenzie Blackwood will be able to uh, take on a bigger. A bigger thing and I, th- I kind of expect him to be the starter uh, by the end of the year um, and I think that's pretty much what it hinges on um, I also think that Taylor Hall Nico Heischer are gonna um, hopefully they'll be healthy this year too and that's gonna be a big change as well um, and then they added guys like PK Subban Nikita Gusev um, and uh, and a, a bunch and Wayne Simmons um, and I feel like they just did enough to, and Jack Hughes, of course. Um, and I feel like they did enough where they added a lot of guys, um, and didn't really subtract that many, uh, key core guys, um, that they're gonna, they're gonna be a team to watch, uh, this year. Um, cause I think they're gonna handle their goaltending and pretty much everything else looks pretty good. So I, I think I'm gonna say New Jersey is gonna make the playoffs and be third. Um, let's go to the Islanders here. Um, so they, uh, they had, they had an interesting season and off season. Um, I guess the biggest one is their goaltending situation because Robin Leonard, uh, who got the Masterton trophy, but then, um, and also had a Vezina type season, although he only played 46 games. Um, he, um, and he, but he played really well when he was healthy. Um, he, you know, he had a 930 save percentage, which is pretty crazy when he was playing. Um, and then Thomas Grice was also amazing too, uh, thanks to Barry Trotz. Um, but, uh, their offensive side wasn't that great. Uh, this year they won't have Robin Leonard. Uh, he's gone to Chicago. Um, and then they added Semyon Varlamov, um, and they added Derek Broussard, um, and um, and I don't. I feel like the uh, this is going to be the year where the Islanders take a step back. Like I feel like they're still missing. Like they still haven't really um, recovered from John Tavares. Like their forward group isn't that great. Um, of course, Matthew Barzal is, um, is really good, but, and Josh Bailey, um, had a decent season, but it's like, when I look at their team right now, it, it doesn't seem that great to me. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit low on the Islanders where I don't see how they're going to do well. Um, I feel like they got a downgrade with Semyon Varlamov, um, in that sense. I mean, of course, uh, Mitch Korn and Barry Trotz, they always bring out the best out of their goaltenders. So I guess he has potential to bounce back and 
and be a, 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 a good goalie again, but it seems, um, it seems like a downgrade at the moment. So I'm, I'm, I don't think, I don't, I'm not too high on these Islanders team. Uh, before I get to the players, player to watch on my side, what, uh, do you have, um, on these, on this Islanders team? I'll stick with the trend, goaltending, goaltending, and more yeah. goaltending, and they need quality goaltending. Um, that's what their season hinges on. Uh, like, you look at Tavares's final year where they could score it well, and Barzell had 80-plus points, right. and, of course, became the kid that won the Calder. <laughs> yeah. um, that Islanders team couldn't keep the puck out of the net. They struggled mightily. They were one of the league's worst in that category, and a lot of teams – and the path has shown that it doesn't matter how good your defense is. It doesn't matter how many shots against you give up. If the goaltending ain't cutting it, you're going to have a tough time. Like, look at San Jose last year. Second fewest shots against per game. Surrendered the 11th most goals during the regular season. Tenth fewest shots allowed was Florida. Fourth most goals surrendered missed the playoffs. Uh, mentioned Carolina already the year before that. Fewest shots surrendered per game. Tenth most goals against they missed the playoffs. The Stars in 2016-17 as well. 12 fewest shots against, gave up the second most goals. Uh, Varlamov, Grice, preferably both. I don't care who, one of them has got to take the just the step forward and, and be the guy. And if both are the guy, then great. If they get a solid 1A, 1B like they did with Leonard and Grice, uh, all the power to them. Um, it honestly doesn't matter, although it's preferred that their offense takes a step forward and, and Barzell uh, starts to light it up a bit more. Um, and maybe guys like Beauvillier take a step forward as well. Um, the Islanders didn't really improve. That's the bad news. The good news is they didn't get any worse. They still have Anders Lee. They still have Brock Nelson, Jordan Everly as well. Um, Oh, they have a lot of assets from last year's team that really surprised people. And I think the Islanders are a bit different because they have competency from up top in Morello calling the shots. Um, like you said, Barry Trotz and Mitch Korn know what they're doing. They've had continued success uh, regardless of the rosters they have at their disposal. They always seem to do stuff that people don't expect them to do so i i think this islanders team is going to be different i don't anticipate i anticipate a bit of a lull but i still think they're going to be competitive in the metro and i think they're going to be a playoff team uh, next year or at the very least they're going to contend i have them ranked fourth in the metro really okay this is going to be our uh, our second disagreement here, um, as I have them ranked. Mm -hmm. eight, I have them ranked last here. I feel like this is where all their wheels come off, um, and they're not as good as they were last year. I think, uh, especially on their goaltending side, like their goaltending isn't as good as we thought they were. Um, and uh, there's a huge drop-off between Leonard and Varlamov. Um, of course, they still have Thomas Grice, but I don't think Thomas Grice is as 
good if he plays longer um, than 48 games um, this <clears> year. So um, I, I don't think, I, I just don't believe in them um, in that sense. Uh, as for my players to watch, I'm, I'm going to give them, uh, I'm going to give it to Jordan Eberle. Um, yeah. He did not have a great year last year. Um, he had 37 points in 78 games last year, um, and 19 of them were goals. He's kind of, I mean, he was kind of known as the guy to, um, you know, back in Edmonton, he scored a lot of goals and, um, and even in, uh, the, um, in New York, uh, he, you know, he had 25 goals, which is decent, but then <laughs> during the playoffs, uh, uh, last year he had nine points in eight games so it's kind of like it's an interesting thing it's like which Eberle are we going to see are we going to see the one um, like we saw in the regular season for most of the regular season or are we going to see the one in the playoffs because if we're getting the Jordan Eberle in the playoffs um, then that's who like the Islanders wanted uh, to see and that's gonna like that's gonna help their team because at the moment, the Islanders pretty much just have Matt Barzal and no one else. I mean, they do have Anders Lee, who's shown some things, Jordan Eberle, who's had potential, uh, Josh Bailey, who also has some potential too, but um, they pretty much just have uh, Matt Barzal, um, just in terms of a forward group um, that you can rely on. And Jordan Eberle, so like, I feel like if Jordan Eberle can make that leap, um, then I'll be wrong with <laughs> with what I think about the Islanders, and I'll have to change my perspective on them. But um, at the moment, I I'm not a huge believer in Jordan Eberle, um, but he is a player to watch because he I guess he could theoretically change um, change my mind um, if he has a good season this year. Um, all right, let's go to the New York Rangers. Uh, this is perhaps the most fascinating team to watch um, this year. Um, not, I mean, not just in the Metro Division, but in the regular season um, in the in the entire league as well, um, because they made a lot of additions um, and they didn't subtract that many players as well. Uh, let's get to their additions first. They got the big fish um, in the free agent market. They got Artemi Panarin. Uh, they also traded for Jacob Truba, um, and then uh, they also added Adam Fox as well. Uh, they subtracted uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, and I guess they also subtracted Neil Pionk as well, um, who's another guy that they, they don't have anymore. And then they also um, got the second overall pick in Capo Caco. Um, apparently he's already looking amazing in the off um, in all these different, um, like, you know, preseason practice facility events and stuff. So, uh, he's, uh, he's looking pretty good too. Um, yeah, the interesting thing though is like, they're kind of going to be kind of, um, interesting team because they made all the moves that made it seem like they're going for it this year by adding guys like Panarin and Truba. But like at the same time, I still feel like they're a year away, which makes this team kind of fascinating because I don't know if they're going to be really good 
or they're going to be really bad. They have the potential for both, really. Um, and like the fact that they traded Kevin Shannonkirk, they dropped him um, to, they put him on waivers. They didn't even like bother to get anything back for him, which they probably could have. And that just showed that they're like going to rely on Adam Fox to be their power play guy. Um, so that's going to be uh, an interesting thing. So they still have a lot of question marks too. Uh, not to mention, we don't know what, like, Philip he- who's going to be their second-line center. Um, I mean, Mika Sabinejad has, is pretty much going to be their first-line center, but their second-line center is either going to be Philip Heedle, Leas Anderson, or Brett Howden, um, and we don't, or Ryan Strom, even. Um, so that's going to be um, an interesting kind of, event for them because we don't know who's going to be there in that sense um and yeah it's they they still have a lot of question marks uh Henrik Lundqvist didn't really have a great year last year as well so they um yeah they're going to be an interesting team but uh what what is your take on the Rangers Steve Well, I think in terms of their primary scores, um, the Rangers better. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they slot Capocaco. Um, he says he'd love to play on the same line as Panarin. Maybe they start him on line two with Kreider. Um, it'll also be interesting to see how they utilize some of their younger players like Krasov and Philip Hedl, like you mentioned, Brett Howden as well. Um, Adam Fox... He almost had, but no, not everyone's a knockout the first time they step onto an NHL ice skating rink. So um, maybe he's better off starting in the AHL um, and honing his craft there. Um, and of course, there are a lot of unknowns with the Rangers offense as a whole outside of guys like Sabanajad and Kako and Panarin. Um, you have someone like Kreider, who I just mentioned uh, moments ago, uh, nearing the end of their contract after this year. Boleski, Matt Boleski is going to be placed in the minors. Um, you have a guy like Nemesnikov, last chance to prove his worth to uh, the Blue Shirts. Uh, Pavel Bichnevich signing a two-year deal to kind of prove in the top six. And then, of course, there's Henrik Lundqvist. Um, Igor Shashurkin has entered the fold. Georgiev impressed in the NHL last year. I, As a Rangers fan, I would enjoy every single start uh, that King Henrik makes for the next couple of years because um, I don't think you're going to see too much more of that uh, moving forward. Um, I think his time's almost up there. So um, if I had to rank the Rangers, that's they have I, I like their additions I think Truba and Panarin are, are gonna because the depth just isn't good enough it's not fully harnessed yep uh, they're not ready to contend just yet there's still gonna be some growing pains um and um yeah they won't make the playoffs they just gotta keep building on uh, the future because that's yeah. what's gonna help them Wait, so you have them, what what rank do you have them? I think I missed that. I have them 7th out of 8th. 
Seventh out of eight. Okay. Who's your player to watch? Um, let's talk about the, the goalie from Bulgaria named Alexander Georgiev. Okay. Um, his numbers are pretty interesting. Um, if you look at uh, his stats from 2017-18, he started uh, nine games. Stopped all but 27 of them. That translates to a GAA of 3.15 and a record of 4-4-1. Not overly flattering. 18 save percentage. GAA over 3 and post a save percentage that high is absolutely amazing. Um, and the trend continued last year when he appeared in 33 games and started 30 of them. His GAA wasn't over 3, it was still 2.92, so hovering close to 3. Uh, um, and he posted a save percentage over 9.10. It was 9.14 last year. He went 14.13-4 and 4 on the year. Um, from February 1st to the end of the year, he was 8.4-4 four four with a 9.28 save percentage and a GAA just under 2.6. What really impressed me last year is how he performed against the Maple Leafs. He six shots. That's not 56 save percentage. This was 2.01. You look at all of the talent that the Leafs had on that team. Arner, Tavares, Matthews, Kadri, Riley. Uh, Sparks got the nod against uh, the Rangers, which maybe helped Georgiev's cause, but the Leafs in two of those games, and he was just flat out unbeatable. This unknown guy from Bulgaria, not even Henrik Lundqvist, this unknown guy from Bulgaria comes out of nowhere and absolutely steals a few games against one of the most potent offenses in the entire National Hockey League. I really have upside, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but Sander Georgiev is going to start more games than Henrik Lundqvist this year. Yeah. Definitely think 42 to 46 start realistic for him. The Rangers are in a position moving forward where they need to find their future goalie, whether it's Georgiev, whether it's Jez Jurkin, whether it's someone else. We know Henrik's capable of. He's got more years of good hockey left. Rangers can't afford to cherish another 50 to 60 game season for King Henrik. They need to find their future goalie and they need to give Georgiev as many opportunities as they can prove to them guy or not. I think we're going to see a lot of Alexander Georgiev this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like Lundqvist is not yeah, he's not going to be the main goalie anymore. He's just not as good as uh, he was, you know, a couple of years ago um, and he, he can't afford to like be playing 50 games 50 plus games a year um, anymore um, definitely a Hall of Famer still like he's a certifier first ballot Hall of Famer um, but yeah I don't think he's he's going to play as much as he is now uh, but um, yeah I, I will be curious to see how Georgiev is I don't know if he'll be the for sure starter this year, but I could see him getting maybe 40, 40 starts 
um, or something like like a Tuka Rask Yaroslav Halak situation where it's like a one A one B type situation. Um, let's see here. Um, yeah, I I I do kind of have a soft spot for the Rangers. Um, I I do like their rebuild situation, and I love the additions of Panarin and Truba because those are like good moves that should help their team like move along in their rebuild like they're better off than a lot of other teams in their rebuild as well Mm -hmm. so i could see them in the playoffs but at the same time when i look at everyone else in the division i just can't see them make the playoffs um so i have them six um you have them seventh but i have them six so we kind of have the same kind of um thought process there um all right let's go to philadelphia here uh, they made a big acquisition this year uh, with Kevin Hayes, who got seven like seven years by seven million. Um, they also added Justin Braun and Matt Niskanen. Uh, they don't have uh, Radko Gudis, uh, Michael Nerverth, or Cam Talbot anymore. I guess it means that they're kind of relying purely on Carter Hart now to be the guy. I mean, they also re-signed Brian Elliott, so maybe Brian Elliott will be like their stopgap in case Carter Hart um, is not good or um, just in case of emergency kind of thing. But um, but I, I don't know. I feel like Carter Hart still is the real deal. Um, he is only 21 years old, so he's kind of like a phenom in that sense where he's already good in the NHL, especially for a goalie. That's kind of rare to see. Uh, but... Um, yeah, they, they have Kevin Hayes. That should help their team a lot, um, especially because they're like, you know, Claude Giroux doesn't really play center anymore. Um, and you have Sean Couturier as the first line guy. Uh, you have Kevin Hayes as the second line guy. Um, the interesting thing here is as well, and I'll get into pretty soon, but uh, Kevin Hayes, like they get um, Elaine Vigneault as the coach now. Um, and Kevin Hayes used to be um, on the Rangers uh, team when Elaine Vigneault was that coach there. So I'll be interested to see that. But um, let's uh, let's talk. So what do you think about these this Flyers team here? Well, the one thing uh, that I was really excited about last year and I'm really excited about for this year is to see how Carter Hart develops. Yep. Um, um, year i wasn't sure what to think of the flyers goaltending they ended up using like eight or nine goalies last year um and unless it was absolutely necessary and they had no choice i was hoping that carter hart would not be recalled and he was recalled because they everyone was getting hurt or there was inconsistencies with their goaltending um and they had no choice but to go to him and to carter hart's credit fire um he found a way to stay on his feet and um just handle the adversity i i think like a professional i think he he was a real professional last year he displayed a lot of confidence a lot of composure and moving forward that's what the flyers need out of their goalie they need to play their game without fear without worrying about their goaltending who's behind them and feeling confident that if they make a mistake their goalie is going to bail them out. And Carter Hart, in the short time that he played with the Flyers last year, won 16 games in 0.17 save percentage. And there were games 
expected to win and he was able to steal him a point or two. So um, I'm definitely intrigued to see what Carter Hart can provide from an offensive standpoint. They have a lot of depth in their top six. Um, however ugly that Kevin A's contract might look like in a few years or even now, he's still a number two center and a pretty good one. Yep. Um, his linemates could either be JVR and one of Voracek and Konechny. So that's still a pretty good second line. True. Um, and then you have Couturier as your top line center. You have Claude Giroux on the top line as well. Um, you have guys like Nolan Patrick in the in the bottom six. Yep. Sooner or later, some Morgan Frost will join the party. Joel Farabee as well. But I think there are still a lot of big factors that slowed this team down last year that could persist this year. Uh, if you look at their power play, it was was the ninth most in the league last year, somehow still ranked in the league's bottom 10. Uh, they averaged the 10th most shots against per game in the process and a penalty kill that's also ranked in the bottom 10, that obviously doesn't help. Um, and I think it all goes back to their team defense and adding guys like Niskanen and Braun, does it help with their defensive depth? Maybe a little bit. Does it make their defense as a whole better hold on that yeah that's a good point um and oh sorry just any loads if if i had to rank the flyers right now i would put them yes in the metro okay uh prob you, you talked about their defense a little so i feel like i before i get to my players to watch let's talk about uh, Provorov signs this week uh, to a six-year, $6.75 million uh, annual average value uh, contract. Um, that's, it, that got like, a lot more than Zach Wierenski got and what uh, Charlie McAvoy got, which is kind of surprising considering that you can make a case that both McAvoy and Wierenski are better than Provorov. Um, not to mention, I mean, not to discredit Provorov, he's a very good player and he could still, like, live up to this contract, but it's a lot if you compare them to those two defensemen there. Uh, he had 26 points in 82 games. I mean, of course, he's more of, like, a defensive guy than the other two, but um, it seemed kind of, uh, I think that's a little bit too much um, for, for him, um, especially considering the other two comparables that... Um, everyone was doing at the time so um, I, yeah I, I don't I feel like it's a little bit of an overpayment but at the same time uh, he could live up to it um, in a couple of years yeah the Profarov contract is is very interesting and I can see why they gave him this kind of money um, in each of his first three years he let all Flyers defensemen a nice time his rookie season in particular he averaged almost 22 minutes, posted 30 points, um, had 161 shots, made a, 111 hits, and blocked 166 shots. So, like, he was he was he was triple digits in shots, hits, and blocked shots yeah. that year. So, like, he was very versatile. He was doing everything there. Um, he also finished second in total power play time behind Shane the Friendly Ghost Bear and tops in shorthanded minutes amongst all Flyers blue liners. So like I said, a Swiss Army knife doing a little bit of everything to help out his team. And he did that as the rookie. 
So then you go to year two where he gets 17 goals and 41 points. He His average ice time per game at this point is uh, 24 minutes, just over 24 minutes. That's 20th amongst NHL blue liners. He has over 200 shots that, uh, that year too. Um, 146 hits, which is in the NHL's top 30 defensemen. He also blocked, again, over 160 shots. He had 167 in his uh, second year, and he had over 200 shorthanded minutes logged. And, the, like, everyone was raving about Ghost Bear that year because he got, like, 65 points, 33 power play points, um, 221 shots, and he didn't even average 22 minutes per game. Whereas, again, Provorov was a Swiss Army knife doing everything. The one flaw that Provorov has in his career so far has been giveaways. He finished 11th in year one in the league. He finished 10th in the same category amongst defensemen in year two. And he was 11th again last year. Um, in his career, he has 200 65 turnovers in 246 games so that's an average of a giveaway per game and over that um and you can say you know 26 points a career low is is a bit underwhelming but again he's still at 145 shots 123 hits 149 blocks again doing everything and then you look at his ice time and you realize that ryan Suter, drew doughty chris letang seth jones and roman yossi were the only defensemen in the NHL with a higher average ice time than Ivan Provorov this past year. His average ice time was 25.07 in 82 games last year. Oh, again, he's being thrusted into very key roles. He's logging a lot of shorthanded minutes. He had 238.13 last year. Um, it's just a case of a young guy being thrusted into a big role in, in a situation where who's he got really to lean off of? Andrew right. McDonald? Shane there That's not really that's not really much veteran leadership to really lead off of. It seems like everyone's learning off of each other as they go along. So I I cut Provost and Slack. He's entering his fourth season, already emerging as a minutes leader in this league not just on his team in this league he's playing all situations he's doing everything for the flyers oh when when you cough up the puck that many times playing the amount of minutes that he's playing it's a bit understandable it it definitely doesn't excuse the fact that he has a lot of turnovers in as many games that he's played but in it because he's one of the most used defenseman in the game right now. Like, it should be noted, the guy below him in, in uh, turnovers since the start of 2016-17 is Eric Carlson. He's won a few Norris trophies, and he's earning over... ...10 million per year. Getting right... You know, I guess you can make the argument that he's a bit overpaid right now now but i think down the road if he continues to rest the giveaways are notched down a little bit it end up being a very big steal for the philadelphia flyers and if i had to pick and choose in a couple of years who's 
the most reliable defenseman who the guy um that people are going to lean on in philadelphia i i would take ivan Provorov over shane ghost is bear and i'm not kidding shane ghost is bear is a good defenseman he's very good putting up points but in terms of doing everything it's ivan Provorov. yeah i mean in that sense yeah i think Provorov's like better all around uh, compared to Ghost Despair, but I don't think he's, um, like, I feel like Ghost Despair has more potential, uh, to be better, uh, than Provorov in the long run, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's just, like, it looks bad at the moment compared, when you compare this to Wierenski, McAvoy, um, and even Morrissey and, um, and Spurgeon this week, but, um, but yeah, at the same time, it's like it could it could pay out for the Flyers, especially if the mark if the cap goes up, um, next year the next couple of years, um, and you know this could look, uh, pretty cheap by the end of it. Um, yeah. Uh, that's 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 the thing with 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 a guy like Provorov is. Yeah. You're assuming that he's only going to get better from here. If he doesn't get better from here, this could turn into Aaron Ekblad 2.0. Right, right. It but kind we of, don't know yet. It's so. like um, it's, I, 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 can sorry, see, I can see going south. No question. Yeah, it, it's kind of like that um, that Jack Eichel contract a couple of years ago, where like he's signed for a big contract, but the idea is is that you're signing for him because of what you think he's going to do, not what he's already done. Um, as a, so like it's kind of like mm-hmm. that where you're hoping that Provorov lives up to this contract not that you think he deserves it at the moment um, players to watch here uh, we're going to go back to Kevin Hayes um, I am interested because I did mention before that uh, Elaine Vigneault is going to be the coach now for the Flyers um, and Kevin Hayes used to be um on that Rangers team under Elaine Vigneault. Um, what's interesting here is, and I don't know if people are really talking about this, but when he was with Elaine Vigneault, he was taking more of like a defensive uh, role there as the center. And then when he, uh, when um, Elaine Vigneault got fired, uh, and then on the Rangers, like uh, Kevin Hayes had a career year on the offensive side of things. So I am kind of curious to see if, uh, if after a year removed from Elaine Vigneault, is Kevin Hayes going to be more like of a defensive guy for him and just be like the short-handed person that Elaine Vigneault once saw in him? Or is like Elaine Vigneault gonna like take off the uh, handcuffs uh, off him and let him uh, become more of the offensive guy that we saw the last year? Um, and that's really what, what's going to be interesting to me to see um, how he does in that sense. Um, and then also, not to mention, uh, because of this Kevin Hayes signing is, like, what are they going to do with Nolan Patrick? Because, um, like, if Kevin Hayes is going to take less of a role or maybe more of a role and be more of the defensive guy, like, they still have Nolan Patrick, who was the second overall pick in uh, 2017, um, and he hasn't really lived up to it yet, so I am curious to see what they do. Uh, they locked Kevin Hayes up long term. It's not like they can 
uh, they're going to trade away Sean Couturier either. So I, I wonder yeah. what that situation is going to be for Nolan Patrick because I feel like they might they might trade him because it seems like they're not using him correctly, um, which is interesting because he was such a hype prospect back in the uh, back in a, a while ago. So it's not like he has he's only twenty years old, so he he still has some he definitely still has some potential left. Um, it's just weird that he's not as good as we uh, thought he was, and he's kind of taken a step back. But I don't know if that's necessarily because of um, him or it's just that they the Flyers haven't given him any chances yet. Because when I look at his like average time on ice, he had 13 minutes of average time his rookie year, and then he had 15 minutes last year. Um, that's still not enough. Um, to really uh, let him let him go, um, and I, I want to see um, how he can do in an increased role, um, and I don't think he's going to get it. Yeah, well, that's because again, Philly's top six is so good. Yeah. Um. So why fix what's broken? Yeah, um, but at the same time, when you get like a change, what? True, but like at the same time, when you get a guy like Nolan Patrick second overall. Like, you should at least yeah. allow him to be, like, you show what he is capable of. So give him some time on the second on the second line, even the first line or something like that. I know that they have Couturier, and now they get Kevin Hayes, but, like, it's not, like, it's not too much to ask, really. Um, anyways, I have them... Uh, yeah, like, even if, it's, even if it's a change in position, if it, yeah. if it gets them on the second line, get it done. Yeah, that, that works too. Like, I could see maybe knocking James Van Riemsdyk down, um, maybe, or uh, I don't think Voracek had, a, like, a great year last year, so maybe you move him to the right wing as well. Something like that. Just put him in the, set, like, top two lines or something like that. Just... Just so you can, like, if it doesn't work, fine, and you can maybe trade him and see if a team w- would be willing to do it, because I'm sure, like, because Dylan Strom got traded, um, and uh, Alex Nylander got traded, um, there's a Jesse Pugliarvi might be traded, so it's not like a, like, there's definitely going to be a team that's going to take a chance on him, um, and could give him a spot um, if it doesn't work out, but... Like just at least give him some some uh, top six role for a, a more than like ten games or something just to see how he does. Um, anyways, I have speaking of which, um, I have a prediction of fifth. Um, they're gonna they're gonna make fifth in the league. I'm still not like I I do like Carter Hart and I do like Kevin Hayes, but I just don't see them making that leap yet. Um, I don't think they're mm-hmm. going to get the wild card or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I I have them fifth in the league. Let's go to Pittsburgh here. Um, they, at this was, they, I feel like they had an underwhelming year this year. Uh, in offseason, they have, uh, they added Dominic Cahoon. Um, they also added Alex Galchenyuk and Brandon Tanev. Uh, famously, I just... I mean, I probably wouldn't mention Tanev if he didn't have that crazy contract, um, but um, I did. Um, <laughs> so the big subtraction on their team is uh, Phil Kessel, um, and they also don't have Olimata anymore. Um, so, yeah, they have a couple of guys that aren't um, 
that aren't on their team. But um, yeah, it's it's gonna be an interesting team. I feel like I mean they still it's hard to count out any team that has Crosby um, and Malkin on their team. But at the same time, I feel like Phil Kessel just gave them that edge. Um, and I don't, I feel like they're gonna, I, I still have them second in the league, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if they like regress and miss the playoffs even, um, because I feel like they're going to miss Kessel more than they realize. Um, cause he was I, like, obviously he didn't play defense and, uh, Kessel, it wasn't like Kessel was like a world beater or whatever, but, um, it feels like, uh, like. Like, they don't have that much of a depth situation. Like, sure, they have Cosby, Malkin. Gensel had a career year last year. Uh, who kn- but, like, who knows what uh, what's going to happen with Alex Galchenyuk, Dominic Cahoon, uh, Jared McCann, um, Dominic Simone, uh, Patrick Hornquist. Like, all these wingers, uh, Nick Bukestad, even, uh, he's a center, but, like, all these Brian Ross, Brandon Tanev, like I'm just looking at their wingers, everyone besides uh, Jake Gensel is a question mark. And so that's what uh, has me worried about them. And then not to mention their defense is um, is kind of atrocious other than Chris Letang. So, um, so it's like they definitely have some huge flaws on their team and then at the other end, it's like, okay, they have Sidney Crosby, they have Evgeny Malkin, and they also have Matt Murray. It's like, those three guys could, and Chris Letang, those four guys could lead them into the playoffs. But at the same time, you look at their depth, and it's just scary how bad they are. <laughs> yeah. I think... And I've mentioned it before, this, and I think we're starting to see it now. We're starting to see the decline of a falling empire. Yep. And it's been a very successful empire. They've won three cups with Crosby and Malkin. Um, and even if Phil Kessel was on the same uh, was on the same team, if they didn't sure. do anything, and they were, and Phil Kessel gave you eight to ninety points, and Malkin gave you eight to ninety points, and Crosby gave you another hundred, I still don't think Pittsburgh when they hit the ice in the playoffs, I still don't think Pittsburgh uh, would be in a good position. Um, whether or not Kessel's on this team, I still think they're in a tough spot because yep. the prospect well is running dry. They're continuing to you know, make these long playoff runs or finish in the league's top 10 or whatever. And you know that obviously affects where you draft in the NHL draft. It affects the quality of your prospects. And when you're starting to trade pieces in the hope that something will stick, some of your future might get sacrificed. And um, I think I think the Pens, what they tried to do is get a little bit younger. They dealt Mata to Chicago and got Dominic Cahoon. They traded Kessel in the hopes that Alex Galchenia could just be plopped on the line with either Crosby or Malkin and he'd just take off. And, and I think to a certain extent, those moves could pay off uh, for Pittsburgh in the regular season. Um, what's also interesting is is where the leadership stands because um, we heard this stuff about Malkin. Maybe there was a riff with Kessel. Maybe Kessel, there was a riff with the coach. Um, I, again, besides all of that, I don't think that affects Phil Kessel's future. 
Phil Kessel's future was affected by A, the cap, and B, Pittsburgh was slowly regressing even if he was lighting the world on fire. So there, there was a lot of stuff beyond Phil Kessel's control that he couldn't control, and that's why he's no longer in the Penguins. Um, and I, I, I just, I, again, like you said, the depth, I really, really start to question it. And Jim Rutherford has tried everything to fix it. He made that Broussard trade with Ottawa in 2018. Yeah. That didn't work. Um, the Buke, McCann trade with Florida, did that work? Well, if, we'll have to wait and see there. Um, you look at uh, t- uh, bringing in Tanner Pearson, hoping that he's better than Carl Hagelin, and he ends up turning into Erica Branson, who's, by the way, still under contract for two more years. So add that to that list of suspect defense with Jack Johnson. Um, and speaking of Jack Johnson, yeah, four more years of him, too. Um, all of the guys that will help your team are here now. They're not in the prospect system. They're here right now. Guys like Teddy Bluger, guys like Brian Rust, guys like Marcus Peterson on the back end, uh, Zach Aston Reese um, helping out your bottom six, um, Casey DeSmith. You know, I think he's he and Matt Murray are going to be a solid tandem again this year. Um, it, it's just come playoff time. Are the Penguins going to run out of gas again? So when I look at this team, I would say the Penguins are going to finish second. It will be close. And I think they'll finish second. I get a tough draw in the third seed, and it'll be an early playoff exit again. I think Pittsburgh is going to be a weak second in the Metro. It'll be good enough to make the playoffs, but once the playoffs set, they're going to fall flat. Yeah, I could see that. I It's weird, like, just looking at this lineup, like, it's like I, I can't believe I'm putting them second in the in the Metro division, but it's, it's just hard for me to, like, uh, go against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, um, even Matt Murray. Um, as well, like I feel like yeah. if I, I, like, this is on contingent that Chris Letang and Matt Murray are healthy for the full year, yeah. um, which is yeah. a big, which is an even bigger question mark. Because uh, then, if 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 one of those guys go and they both have big injury histories, um, they're they're kind of screwed. But um, but yeah, other than that, like it's hard to count out Crosby and Malkin because they're both like the best in the league. Um, I, there was also, I should mention, because they, they don't have Phil Kessel anymore, um, there was a report this week that Malkin was the guy who wanted Phil Kessel treated. Um, it's unclear how true this is because both Malkin denied it um, and and all that stuff. And I guess the report was is that like Sullivan... Um, was already like angry at it and then Malkin just didn't want to deal with it so he sided with the coach more um so we don't know how true this is um because I think it's like it's uh, like I feel like Kessel just had like the media has it out for Kessel so it's like but now they like make it into like Malkin is also like the bad person now um so I don't know how much I believe on that that aspect of it but um, I felt like I should mention it publicly 
that the, that's the rumor now is that Malkin wanted um, his teammate and his line mate uh, Phil Kessel out because he felt that Phil Kessel was okay with uh, the two Stanley Cups that he won and he didn't have to try anymore which is not true by the way because like Phil Kessel had like was a point per game player last year um, it's just a ridiculous thing so I don't I, I don't want to say that, like, it, it, and it also feels against uh, Malkin's personality to put someone under the bus like that, um, but I guess it could be true. Um, we'll see, though. It's just a rumor, though. Um, yeah, I, I, I can see why someone will want to start that rumor, because if yeah. you, even if you look during the 2017 playoffs before Kessel even won, uh, well, he, he, he won a Stanley Cup the year before, but in, in any case... yeah. There were times during that uh, Penguin Senators Eastern Conference Finals in 2017 where Kessel and Malkin were were kind of jawing at each other, and yeah. I wouldn't say jawing because like they were talking smack about each other or whatever, or they're being critical. I I consider it just a passionate conversation, a passionate debate between two guys who the same result they want to win. Um, but you know, maybe they don't see eye to eye and, and they're just two passionate guys that really care about what they do. And that's all I saw it as. They're just yeah. two passionate guys having a chat. Um, that doesn't necessarily translate into, oh, I hate this guy. I want him off my team. You know, players are going to have disagreements. Players and coaches are going to have disagreements, but at the end of the day, they're there to do a job. They're supposed to be on the same page. And it's their job to figure it out. And not everyone's going to get along with each other. Like, look at Bortuzzo and Sanford when the Blues were struggling and they had this, like, practice skirmish to, to kind of, like, get out some frustration. The Blues won the freaking cup, like, a couple, four months later. Yeah. So it it, 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 it happens with, with the best of teams where, you know, you have two guys that are very passionate about what they do I mean they don't see eye to eye they have it out they kiss and make up everything's fine and they move on um it it's it's so i guess it's kind of easy to put the blame on malkin when kessel gets treated it's just like well you know he had some passionate debates with kessel you know we probably didn't like kessel and and he was the re and that was the reason kessel left but uh, it's also interesting. I can't remember if it was before or after Kessel got traded that Sullivan got a four-year extension. So True. if it was between the player and the coach and Malkin side with the coach and the coach won, well, he knew what was going to happen. Yeah, there was also like a report that Malkin requested a trade if Kessel was going to be on the team next year or something like that. So that, that may be more of why... Um, like that's that's the official report or like what people were saying um i still have trouble believing that it was that um but um i don't know maybe maybe there is some truth to it we'll see um let's go to washington here oh by the way so i have penguin second um even though i don't know why i'm doing that but i have them second it's just hard for me to count out cross being malkin um, and Gensel, Latang, and Murray are good enough that they could realistically make it just with uh, those five guys, but it's still I, I have them second. Um, I'll, you... I'll, I'll be really I'll be 
really quick on my player to watch because I know we oh, have right. still a lot of other stuff to get to. My player, my player to watch is going to be Dominic Cahoon. Okay. Uh, Daily Faceoff has him on the second line with Malkin and Galchenyuk. In Chicago last year, uh, he got 13 goals, 37 points, had 137 shots without even averaging 15 minutes per game. And he played with the likes of DePink, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Dylan Strome. I'm on a good line. And I think Dominic Cahoon can do some things. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good pick there. Um, I feel like he has like a if you're in a fantasy league, he he could be a deep sleeper for uh, yeah. for players he, to watch. He's he's one of those big round picks that could have a monster year, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the Washington Capitals here. Um, they're they're also an interesting team. Uh, also, because they're kind of going through what Columbus went through last year, because they don't, uh, Backstrom and Holtby are both going to be free agents next year, um, but they still have a pretty good team already. That's the only main difference, um, is they still have Alex Ovechkin, they still have Nicholas Backstrom, uh, they still have Evgeny Kuznetsov, Tom Wilson, uh, TJ Oshie even, um, so they'll, uh, they'll be pretty good still. Um, they, uh, they added Richard Panic and Radko Gudis, um, but they subtracted Brett Connolly and Matt Niskanen. Um, yeah. So, uh, what, what do you, like, I feel like the Capitals kind of ha- went through a little bit of a Stanley Cup hangover, um, but they they still made the playoffs. Uh, they're still a pretty good team. Um, cause they didn't really lose anyone, um, as well. So they should be good. Um, I guess Brett Connolly they lost, but I don't, I feel like they can make it up pretty soon, um, with Jake Verona. Um, but the, yeah, I, I don't know what, I, I, I have them as their top, the top team to beat. I have them winning the division. Um, but they, um. But yeah, at the same time, I feel like I could see them not lose their luster. Kind of similar to the Penguins. Like, this is around the time where they may, like, Ovechkin isn't as good, Backstrom isn't as good, um, and Holtby may not be as good as he once was as well. So, um, I could see it happening where they fall, but um, I don't have them in my projections. Uh, So, what do you think of this Washington team? I think out of all the teams in the Metro that lost the least season, and they're still going to be uh, division winners. I don't know how strong they're going to be compared to last year, how good they're going to be in the playoffs. Um, a lot of things can happen between now and then. Uh, I feel I feel the most interesting part, and obviously a guy like Racco Gudis, um, who most of the Capitals from being on the other side of the ice with the Philadelphia Flyers. He's been in a lot of those Metro Division rivalries, so um, about if he can handle the pressure of playing against Metro Division opponents, he's done it for a couple of years now. Um, He's also got some underrated offensive perks to his game. I think he had like a two assists or I think he had like a two or three point game here and there with the Flyers um, in the past couple of years too. Um, he's, he's, he, <laughs> I, as you know, he tends to push the envelope with some of his hits 
and it makes me sick. I really can't stand it. But no. I think for all he pretty underrated defenseman because of the things that you don't see. Rako Gudis is a big, tall guy. He adds a lot of sides, a lot of physicality. He's among the NHL's hits leaders. Um, he's there to make guys on the other side of the ice. He is out there to make it tougher for the other team to score on you just be just because of his presence a bit like chair in a sense yep. um i also think garnet hathaway is an interesting addition he's a fourth line grinder he can stir the pot he can hit bodies um yep. him and carl hanklin should make it tougher for the other team's forwards uh, to gel offensively um there's the hope that with the departure of brett Connolly, richard panic can fill some of the secondary scoring mm. Yeah. And then you look at uh, Michael Kempney on the back end. I'm interested to see what he can do in a top four role. Um, and, you know, trading a guy like Burakovsky, I, I guess, you know, oh, yeah, maybe that'll hurt them a little bit. They still have Verana, who took some strides. They still have a lot of leadership. So losing Orpik to retirement, losing uh, Niskanen in that Gudis trade, that's not really going to the Capitals because they still have a lot of the guys that were on that 2018 yep. championship roster. Um, guys like Jay Oshie, guys like Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Holtby. Um, and what helps the Capitals is that what could have been a 10 or a 20 game suspension for Kuznetsov is only a three game yep. suspension somehow. I don't even know how the NHL uh, ended up getting to that ruling. But in any case, because Netsaw's <laughs> only going to miss three games, that's huge for them. The Caps straight up have no excuses to underperform this year. Yeah. They simply don't need to do well. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, the thing that's interesting, yeah, for Kuznetsov, it's it's kind of funny because it's like the I, double IHF suspends Kuznetsov for four years. Um, so he's gonna miss the Olympics yeah. and whatnot, but, uh, he's only, the NHL only suspends him for three games. So that's where it gets a little bit crazy, but at the same time, like, I knew it wasn't gonna be, like, uh, a lot of games, because I, it's, like, it would be unprecedented to, um, to do, uh, to, like, suspend him for more than that, um, I feel like, uh, because it's not like he... Uh, like if if this was like a like a the second time where he was caught with drugs or something like that, um, then he'll he probably would have gotten more games. But I think since this was a first offense, um, then I like that's why it was so low. Um, but yeah, and it's also like uh, we talked about this when when it happened. It's like I have more of an issue of the fact that he lied than the fact that he. Um, he actually did it because I I would be surprised. I feel like forty percent of the league um, uh, does the cocaine. Um, I know that's probably a hot take, but I would I would like it's 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 just it's just facing reality here. It's a lot of players are handling uh, illegal drugs like that. It's just you hope that they're careful, and and that's the thing. You just know it's going to happen, um, and you just hope that they're careful. So. Uh, three games makes some sense, but it, it it does sound it is weird compared to what the double IHF did. 
Um, it, it makes it makes even less sense because I uh, like just over twelve months ago, first offense, Nate Schmidt gets busted for a true. drug test and not even a batting an eyelash, not even a debate. Boom, twenty games. Right. Yeah, that's true. But like, and Kuznetsov gets seventeen left. For, for Nate Schmidt's case, that was a performance-enhancing drug, and uh, Kuznetsov, it's not a performance-enhancing drug. It's a dangerous drug, but it's not a performance-enhancing drug. So it's it's a little different in that sense. Um, it's it's still a bad it's still a bad decision that I think the NHL should condone, and I feel bad for Nate Schmidt because, and Kuznetsov wasn't punished. I I. I just don't want the NHL coming to my door saying we're going to be consistent. You know, we're you can yeah. trust us with their rulings. But like, I, it, it just makes me more suspicious of what they're doing. I guess so, but like, I I don't think the. I mean, I guess this is like, we have a lot to talk about, but I I just don't like it. Like, cocaine is different than a a performance enhancing drug. It's not like I don't think it's comparable. Um, anyways, it's, it's, it's different. It's different, but it, it's something that could take over your life if you let it. Yeah, but that's and not it's something the NHL should, shouldn't approve. They, they should condone it. Yeah. But like, it's not like, it, it, it's not, it's just, it's just, it's just the message that it sends. I, I don't think it's the message for sending. That's all. It's not a, it's not the difference I, I I see what you're saying. I, we'll just leave it. We'll agree to disagree here. Let's just leave it at that because we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Players to watch. <laughs> uh, players to watch. Tom Wilson um, is my guy here. Speaking of dangerous guys, um, the thing is, is that it's interesting. I was looking <laughs> at their stats, um, like, you know, because he had that 20-game suspension. Um, which I guess is, is 17 more than Evgeny Kuznetsov um, got. But uh, he had, he played uh, 63 games, um, and he got 40 points in those games. So that means that if he like played a full season and he wasn't suspended those 20 games, he would probably be in like the low, like the high 50s um, in points if he was at that pace. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ovechkin and Kuznetsov are on his line, so that may have a big may make a big deal of out of his stuff. But like, he's kind of like like of course he he makes all these like dangerous hits and and all that stuff. But he's slowly turning into a Brad Marchand. Um, and not just in the fact that he's like a dirty player, but the fact that, or makes questionable hits, he's also like turning into like a guy that you don't want to play against offensively, like in the actual hockey game, because he had like 22 goals, um, in six, uh, in 63 games. That's, that's pretty crazy too. So, um, he's kind of like turning into like an offensive player, um, even without, um, but it's just that he has that questionable side where he could, like, kill a person um, <laughs> at any moment. So yeah. it's, it's uh, but, like, it's, it's weird because he's slowly turning into the most hated man in America, or in hockey, I should say. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, like, because he's 
He's pretty good on the offensive side of things, and he also gets a lot of penalty minutes, and he hits a lot too. So um, he's he's a guy to watch. Um, I also wanted to mention, because I could use like Jacob Verana, TJ Oshie, or Richard Panic or Car Haglin as the guys to watch, because pretty much every other winger besides Ovechkin and Tom Wilson are like, or everyone besides Alex Ovechkin are kind of like questionable in terms of um, how they're going to do. But um, yeah, I decided to go with Tom Wilson because um, people, I feel like he had like an underrated season, offensively speaking. Um, he was pretty good there. I mean, hate him all you want, but uh, which I, I, I hate the guy, but um, I, I will give him respect in the fact that he, uh, he did he did well this year um, in the games that he played. Um, all right, let's go to... Oh, so I have them winning the division. Who do you, uh, Where do you have the Capitals? I think you didn't say any team won the division yet, so I think you also um, have them winning the division. I, I did reveal at the start, but I'll repeat, and uh, the Caps are winning the division. How strong they'll be, how they'll do in the playoffs, I don't know. All They're right. good enough to win the division. They should have no excuse for not winning it. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> um, let's go to the rapid fire here. Uh, Mitch Marner uh, gets six years, finally gets signed, uh, six years, uh, $10.83 million. Uh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess it, there was a report, we should preface this, because there was a report that um, in June, uh, this was according to Bob McKenzie, so you know this is true, uh, that... Uh, Mitch Marner, or the Leafs offered Mitch Marner like $11 million for eight years, um, and he turned it down because he was making slightly less than Austin Matthews, and he didn't like that, um, which was ridiculous on so many levels, not just because it's like Austin Matthews is on it, like not to mention that, I mean, obviously Marner is a good player, um, obviously, uh, he had a career year last year. He had 94 points in 82 games and all that. But like Austin Matthews plays a different position, and when he when Austin Matthews is healthy, he's like one of the best players in the game, if not like top two, top three. So it's like uh, and like centers generally get paid more than uh, wingers do. Well, on the other hand, too, it's like. It was just a strange thing to even compare yourself to Austin Matthews if you're Mitch Marner. Just like I get that they're teammates, and that's why I guess you do compare them. But at the same time, it just felt weird. Um, but having said all that, um, I guess Mitch Marner kind of like all the fans. Like I'm not the only one who feel felt that way, and all the Toronto Maple Leafs fans kind of like were like. Hey, what the, what the hell? Like, <laughs> why why did he turn that down? It, it, it's not like like that was a good contract for Mitch Marner to sign. Um, and he just like imagine like turning down eleven million dollars for eight years. Um, it's just like a absurd contract in that sense. And now he made uh, slightly less than eleven million. Um, and he's going to make um, so he's still going to make a lot of money. Um, and that brings him to a UFA in a couple of years um, down the line. Um, oh, it's six years, by the way. But um, I think I said that. Um, so, yeah, what, what is your take on this Mitch Marner deal? Well, 
Uh, first off, Kyle Dubas kept his promise. True. He said they would keep William Nealander, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, and fit them all in with John Tavares. He did. You can argue the cost of it, and we will argue the cost of it later, but he did what a lot of people thought was a very breakable promise, and he somehow made it work. It's going to cost him, but he somehow made it work. And a lot of people are going to argue whether or not Mitch Marner is worth this kind of money. Um, if if you base it off of his first two seasons, um, you know, he, he's, he's definitely worthy of, you know, at least $7 million, But um, year three is where he really elevated his game. So let's look at his first two years. Um, he had a team-leading 41 assists as a rookie, just one goal shy of reaching 20. Tied with Nylander for third on the Leafs in scoring with 61 points. His 21 power play points put him in a tie with Matthews for second. He was fifth in shots on goal in the roster that year with 176, and he was averaging less than 17 minutes per contest. It was 16.49. So then we go to year two slightly better than year one 47 assists again up there on the team tied with jake gardner for tops first 20 goal season in his career finishes with 69 points nice 194 shots on goal and his ice time was actually reduced by just under three seconds per game that second season still the top scorer on the team still got 27 power play points which led the team and he had, eight, he had eight power play goals, which were good enough for third on the Leafs. Yep. So, again, those are just his first two years. That's pretty good. He's already becoming a top scorer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But then you look at his third year, where Marner, like Provorov, really gained NHL notoriety with his play. He surpasses 200 power play minutes in 2018-2019 minutes shy of finishing alone at the top he has 21 power play points tying him with morgan riley for the team lead and morgan riley it is probably going to get his fair share in a couple of years when his contract expires once again team high 68 assists 16 more than morgan riley he has 26 goals 94 points career highs um, the only Leafs to better Mitch Marner's 233 shots on goal were John Tavares and Austin Matthews. He had 203 slot pass completions, 10th amongst NHL forwards. He had 479 zone entries, top 20 in the same group. 52 primary assists, bested by only two NHL forwards. And he was 11th in overall scoring amongst NHL forwards. You tell me why Mitch Marner shouldn't make close to Austin Matthews money. He's a top scorer in the team. He's a top 20 player in the game. And I think probably the biggest knock on Mitch Marner that probably a lot of people have is just like, when they take a look at his offensive stats, they're just like, okay, that's pretty good. But what about away from the puck? How good of a player is he away from the puck? And Mitch Marner, is getting better at that too because if you look at his takeaways he had 78 last year ninth most in the league um 
He had the ninth most takeaways in his rookie year, the fourth most in his second year, and still not even averaging 20 minutes per game in his third year. Once again, he's still one of the one of the top 10 guys in takeaways. And you look at his shorthanded minutes this past year, Marner didn't even have a combined 15 shorthanded minutes in his first two years. He had over 100 shorthanded minutes this past year. So he's he's trying to get better on the other aspects of the game. Yeah. He's trying to get better away from the play, not just trying to make things happen when the puck is on his stick or when his team is on the attack. He's trying to create chances when his team doesn't have possession. He's trying to kill penalties more. He is trying to become a better all-around player. And this is a guy that again has only played three years in the NHL. So when he rejects that supposed deal in June, keep in mind Panarin hasn't signed his yet. Yeah. So maybe he's waiting on Panarin, maybe he's waiting on the other UFAs to see what it's they possible. get. Yeah. And he and he just waits a bit of time to make his decision because And also they I didn't think, make, I think oh, I think yeah. his camp's line of thinking is okay, if we reject this deal right now we wait a bit and we hold and we try and get more money for mitch yep and we don't get it we still have that offer to go back to because the lease were willing to give us that in june they probably would still be willing to give that to us right now mm -hmm. so the worst case scenario is you have that offer from june that you can go back to best case scenario you get more than that True. so was it a messy play? Probably. Did it hurt them in the public eye? Maybe. But Mitch Marner got what he wanted. Yeah, that's that's where I disagree with you, I feel like. Because um, I feel like, yeah, it's true. Like, at June, we didn't know. Like, Panarin hadn't signed yet. Um, and there wasn't a... Um, we did, Like, they didn't know what the market was going to be. That trade for Tyson Berry hadn't happened yet. Um, so that, that may have affected him as well. Um, but I still feel like even still, it's like 11 million for eight years is a lot of money to turn down. Um, mm -hmm. and, and at that point, the Maple Leafs didn't even have like a ton of cap space to deal with. So it's like, you know, also they didn't get, um, that other person, like they couldn't even afford it at that point, because uh, they they did have Nathan Horton on the roster, but they didn't have that other guy um, who I'm blinking on, who's going David to David Clarkson. Yeah, they didn't have David Clarkson, who's going to be put on LTIR. So they would have been screwed um, by offering that anyways. Um, and it, it, I just I just hate the regards to like, and I feel like because. Bob McKenzie tweeted that out and he said that like Marner uh, rejected Marner's camp rejected it because they felt like they could make more um, and they didn't like that Austin Matthews was making slightly more than that um, I I feel like it, like that just changed the opinions of everyone and Marner was like you know what I, I uh, like he just came to his senses and said like you know what I'm worth 
Let, let's see if the Leafs are willing to give us ten million or uh, something close to that. Because I like, you know, the fans kind of like turned on him because there's because I saw a lot of Leafs fans on Twitter and all that stuff saying like, you know, like Marner is really good, but if he wants more than eleven million, he can like screw off. We should just trade him. And so like like there was a lot of people who were like thinking how like how egotistical Marner was and in turning that down it's still a little weird that he turned it down I mean I know he ended up getting a good deal and he sort of caved in a way but like it's still just like it's just I I I don't I feel like he should have at least accepted that because um I, I just don't understand why you would wait for that because that's like over his value. He's still overpaid too. That's the funny thing. Um, like, and I have the same concerns. Like, yeah, he had a career year um, last year. He had 94 points and he had a pretty good rookie year and second year as well. Um, but like, I don't think he's worth being the second most uh, paid winger in the league just yet. He could, if he continues to like have the season that he did last year, then yes, this this uh, this deal is worth it, of course. But um, at the moment, I just want to see more consistency out of him, um, and uh, that's one of those things that time will tell um, how, how if this contract was worth it or not. Um, but I, I I feel like he's still overpaid in that sense. Um, all right. Uh, we're at two hours, but I do want to briefly mention that uh, McAvoy does did get signed. Um, we'll talk more about it next week because we are short for time. But um, because it is my team, I do want to mention some things about McAvoy. Um, three years, uh, $4.9 million, And as we talked about with Provorov and Wierenski, this is like a bargain deal for McAvoy. Of course, mm-hmm. it's going to hurt. Uh, the Bruins uh, when those three years are up but at the same time he's going to be an RFA those years um, and uh, ba- David Backus, David Krejci, um, those large contracts are no longer going to be on the team. Tuka Rask is going to be a UFA as well um, who knows with that as well so like those large contracts are not going to like be affected with, uh, with uh, McAvoy as well um, and I guess, so he's going to be paid in a couple years, but, um, it's good. It's a good deal for the short term at, at least. Um, and I think they should be able to afford Carlo, uh, considering that I think they're going to put, uh, Kevin Miller on LTIR. Um, and that should give them some room to sign Brandon Carlo, um, as well. And also I saw this stat and this just gets me giddy all the time because when you compare it to Mitch Marner. I know we shouldn't because they're completely different players, but if you combine McAvoy, Pasta, Bergeron, and Marchand's contract, uh, they're making $24 million in one year for the next three years. Um, and that's... And <laughs> if you compare that to Marner, Matthews, Tavares, and Nylander, they're making $40 million. So they're making double uh, what the Bruins core players are making um it's just like that just shows you how i mean obviously those those guys on the leafs are different kind of players um 
especially McAvoy, because uh, he's a defenseman. But just it just goes to show you how, uh, and it's also like a different time period where Matthews, Tavares, and Nylander and Marner were all paid, you know, within the last two years or and whatnot. And Bergeron and Pass and Marchand were paid a couple of years before, and you know, times change obviously. Um, and they would be paid like Matthews or Marner or Tavares if they were on the open market now. But um, still, like, uh, it just it just shows how amazing uh, Don Sweeney is in these contract negotiations. And he, it makes up for the David Backus contract, screwing up Dougie Hamilton uh, contract and, uh, and all that stuff. So it's like... Um, it just, it just makes this Bruins fan happy about that. So those are the only thing. We'll talk more about it next week. Uh, but uh, but I did want to mention it since this is partially a Bruins podcast as well. Um, yeah. um, so um, we speaking of defensive signs, we'll, yep. we'll get more in-depth on McAvoy. There are also two that happened that we'll save for next week because we'll be talking about the respective teams then. But uh, just yep. to briefly keep you up to speed um josh morrissey extended by the winnipeg jets a year before he was set to become an rfa he gets an eight-year extension uh with an aav of 6.25 million years three to five have a no move years six to eight have a 15 team no trade list uh and then we have jared spurgeon in minnesota 29 years old getting a seven-year deal with an aav of 7.575 million yep um there's also a no move and no traded added to that and i should also mention he is now the highest paid player on the team yep i think uh zach Wierenski's kind of like started this whole thing um and then all of a sudden like all the, oh the comparables are out and now all the other defensemen get signed and even for next year with josh morrissey and spurgeon um, so that, that was interesting, but well, yeah, we'll talk about both next week, um, or all three of those guys next week. Um, okay. I, uh, let's, uh, get going. It's, uh, lace them up, uh, our lace up Twitter, uh, podcast is our Twitter lace, um, lace them up is our Facebook. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, um, and all those uh, iTunes as well on those all those plat- platforms. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 185 of the Lace Up Podcast when we preview the Central Division.